You're listening to the Mission Church Podcast. Each message comes from our Sunday morning gatherings where we worship in community, study God's Word, and grow in our faith together to the glory of Jesus Christ. The Mission Church is committed to helping each person belong and believe and to equip them to embrace the call of God upon their life. We pray these messages will build your faith and encourage you today. And you say the Northern Kingdom, what is that? Well, uh, you'll remember that after David, King David, uh, Israel was at its zenith, right? I mean, just the, the, the most powerful nation in the world. And then Solomon built the kingdom up even higher in the zenith with, with Solomon. But after Solomon, Solomon fell away and the nation fell away from the Lord, uh, 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 married a ton of wives and got into trouble and the nation uh, split into two after Solomon. And uh, the two uh, splits are called the Northern Kingdom. There were 10 of the tribes that went up to the Northern Kingdom and the Southern Kingdom. There were two tribes in the Southern Kingdom, Judah and Benjamin. And so we'll be talking a lot about the Northern and Southern Kingdoms. And that is talking about the nation Israel after it split after the time of Solomon. Um, Jeroboam was the first king of the northern kingdom. Jeroboam was one of Solomon's servants who rebelled and uh, took the nation, 10 of the tribes, and broke the nation in two. Uh, The time of all this was 930, Jeroboam's reign was 930 to 909 BC. So about 200 years before the book of Hosea. Just trying to give you an idea of what what we're jumping into. Uh, Jeroboam was not a good king. Uh, The first king of the northern kingdom, the divided kingdom. Uh, Jeroboam was afraid that the ten tribes of the northern kingdom would reunite with the southern kingdom when the people went down to worship God in Jerusalem. It was required that all the Jews would go down to Jerusalem at Passover. Uh, There were three feasts that they would go down to worship in Jerusalem. And Jeroboam was afraid that when the northern kingdom went down into Jerusalem, into the southern kingdom at these feasts, that they would reunite and that he would be done with. And so uh, Jeroboam did something incredibly perverse. He set up golden calves in Dan up to the north and in Bethel in the southern part of the northern kingdom uh, so that all the people of the northern kingdom would not have to go down to Jerusalem to the temple to worship God. Incredibly perverse. And uh, isn't it interesting how when we are afraid... And when we are clawing for power, and when we are trying to build our own little kingdom, how fear and insecurity and the lust for power will cause us to do very sinful things. May we be wise. Uh, To get a flavor of kind of what was happening as this nation divided, uh, take a look at uh, 1 Kings chapter 12 on your screens. It gives us a a little background of what I was just talking about. Please, 1 Kings 12. Uh, Let me hear you read this in a a thundering voice. Uh, King Jeroboam said in his heart, Now the kingdom may return to the house of David. If these people go up to offer sacrifices in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will turn back to Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they will kill me and go back to Rehoboam, king of Judah. Uh, Fear, wanting power, wanting affluence, wanting everything for himself is what's motivating him. Let's go on the rest of the verse. Therefore, the king asked advice, and he made two calves of gold and said to the people, it is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, O Israel, which brought you up from the land of Egypt. And he set one up in Bethel, and he put one in Dan. Uh, 
Interesting. Notice what happened there. Did you see it? He doesn't say we're doing a brand new religion. He doesn't say we're going to start a cult. He doesn't say I'm going to introduce to you new foreign gods. No, he says this is now how we're going to worship God. We're going to, and he calls the golden calves. This is how we're going to worship God who took, delivered you out of Egypt. Interestingly, the same thing is happening in the church today. We still use the name Jesus. We don't change things, but we do change who Jesus is. And we do depart from what Jesus taught. Uh, and the same thing is happening in the church at large today. Very interesting. Let's go on. Let's see what happens. Now, this became a sin for the people. Uh, excuse me. Now, this thing became a sin for the people went to worship before the one as far as Dan. And he made shrines on the high places and made priests from every class of people who were not the sons of Levi. Wow. Do you see what's happening? What used to be Bethel, the house of God, now has a golden calf. What used to be Dan, the place of uh, the Lord's people, is now a golden calf. And instead of taking well-trained Bible scholars from the tribe of Levi, the priestly tribe, who had that in their uh, the call of God on their life. God had set apart the tribe of Levi. They had it in their heritage. They were well-studied. They were scholarly. Instead of having priests who knew the Bible, he appoints anyone to be priests. And now the messages that are being proclaimed are uh, ungodly. And what a picture that parallels our day to day as, uh, uh, you know, church is just beginning to drift away from some of the truths. Uh, not all churches, but a lot of the church. Uh, I want you to know our leadership matters. And fear and the drive for success that caused King Jeroboam to sin against God had horrible effects on the entire northern kingdom of Israel. Your leadership matters. And what you do leaves a legacy. And can I share with you, Jeroboam's legacy is horrible. There were 19 kings in total in the northern kingdom, that uh, 18 that followed Jeroboam, and all of them were wicked. Not one good king in the northern kingdom. And so uh, God has uh, uh, called Hosea to preach a message to this corrupt northern kingdom. It's about 200 years after King Jeroboam. It is now 750 to 710 BC. And uh, Hosea has been called to preach to the northern kingdom who is afar from God and uh, not walking with the Lord. Uh, Isaiah and Jeremiah were contemporaries. Uh, we, uh, we have this term that, uh, in the Bible, there's, there's the, the major prophets and the minor prophets. The book of Hosea is a minor prophet. Minor doesn't mean they're on the B team. Minor doesn't mean they didn't preach as good. Minor doesn't mean they, didn't, they weren't really that inspired. No, no, no. It just means that their books are smaller. And so uh, this is a, uh, a smaller book, and I, I think that we'll look at it for the next four or five, maybe six weeks. And uh, we're not going to go as slow as we did in Genesis. Um, but I want to give a flavor of it because I think there are a lot of parallels uh, in, in the books. So Hosea was, uh, excuse me, parallels in, in in the northern kingdom with where we're at in the United States today. 
So uh, Hosea preaching to the northern kingdom, prophesying to the northern kingdom. Isaiah preaching to the southern kingdom of Judah and uh, God's message going out that way. I want you to know Hosea had a difficult ministry because uh, the people he was preaching to, God's people, they did not know God. They were seduced by worldly ideologies and by sexual sins. They're worshiping other gods uh, included a lot of sexually perverse things. And these lusts and these desires had turned them away from the true and living God. And yet they thought they were God's people. And again, the parallels between our nation are incredible. Outwardly, the northern kingdom of Israel was enjoying a time of financial prosperity and a time of growth, but inwardly, moral corruption was permeating their lives. And God's people were not walking with God. They were caught up in all kinds of immoral and uh, sinful behaviors. Another thing that had happened is that religion in Israel had become a counterfeit. With these golden calves, they, they still thought they were worshiping God, but it was a counterfeit religion. And they were going to, uh, you know, on the Sabbath, they were going faithfully, uh, but it was a fake religion. The priests were not teaching the Bible. And the reason? They didn't know the Bible. And what a sad indictment that is. And because the priests were not teaching the Bible, the people did not know the true and living God. They had a counterfeit God in their mind and in their hearts. Uh, the priests were not teaching the Bible, and their sermons, therefore, were not wise. They were not profound. It was the same old religious jargon, the same old religious chattering uh, every single week. And sadly, the priests were embracing the sins of the culture as acceptable and normal. Instead of teaching repentance, they were just winking at all the uh, sexual immorality that was going on and the idolatry. And so God's people were living like the world, focused on pleasure, focused on idol worshiping, focused on adultery, uh, focused on, uh, you know, they were casual fornication all through the week, uh, uh, called today hooking up, right? And they're just, and yet they would come to temple on the Sabbath and worship God as if everything was fine. They still believed in God and they worshiped regularly and yet they also worshiped other gods. And the main gods that they worshiped were Baal, were Molech, and were Asherah. Baal, Molech, and Asherah. And I know that we are way too sophisticated to worship other gods. But can I tell you something? We still worship other gods. Do you know what Baal was? Baal was the god of power. Does power get worshipped today? Absolutely. You know what Moloch was? Moloch was the god or mammon. Moloch was the god of money. And does money get worshipped today? And do you know what Ashereth was? Ashereth was the goddess of sexuality. Uh, does sexuality get worshipped today? She was a fertility goddess. Uh, these were the gods that had captured the hearts of God's people. And I find, again, the parallels of our day are just amazing. Uh, in Israel, the archaeologists have found tons of little figurines to the goddess Ashereth. I have a picture for them uh, for you. Uh, here they are. Ashereth was, uh, was portrayed as a nude woman with exaggerated breasts. And she often or usually had her, her hands propping up her breast underneath, uh, and they were exaggerated. And uh, I guess for the Israeli men, this really did it, right? Like, that was the thing. Doesn't look like much now, but that's 2,000 years of wear and tear. Uh, <laughs> uh, oy vey. Uh, but it looks foolish, doesn't it? It looks foolish. 
And you know how else they worship Asherah? That was these were these little figurines that they had. They were like aphrodisiacs for the for the people. They also worship Asherah with Asherah poles. Asherah poles were these tall poles in high places where the girls would dance around the poles and those kind. Not much has changed. Uh, here is a picture of an Asherah pole that was uh, recently discovered in Tel Hazor. Obviously, way shorter over over time. Uh, but they would put these. Asherah poles at the high places where they would go and worship God. And here we see God's people were caught up in all the filthy sins of the world. And the problem is the priests were not doing their job. They were not teaching God's word. Do you know what the priests were all focused on? Uh, You can read all this in the book of Kings. You know what the priests were focused on? The priests were focused on two things. The, The priest in the northern kingdom. They were focused on making sure they got their tithes and offerings. They wanted to make sure the people were bringing the offerings in because that's how they ate. And secondly, they were focused on growing their ministries. They were not skilled in God's word. They had not studied. They were not teaching God's word. And therefore, people did not know God and they were not walking with God and they did not know God's word. And do you know what happens when you don't teach God's word accurately? Do you know what happens? You don't quit believing in God. You quit reading your Bible. You don't quit believing in God. Do you know what happens when you quit reading your Bible, when your Bible's not taught to you well, and you quit studying your Bible? Do you know what happens? You don't quit believing in God. You just make up the God you believe in. And now Jesus looks way different than he really is. And now God looks way different than he really is. Kind of like a golden calf. And we're studying the book of Hosea because the parallels of our nation and the parallels of the northern kingdom at this time are very glaring. And I'm so glad we're having this time together. And on, the, on, on Tuesdays and on, in on, on men's and women's, we're studying the book of Acts because uh, we're learning how to be disciples in a world that is growing hostile to God. So uh, for the next few weeks, I think we'll see a lot of parables of uh, what's going on in our nation. Uh, it was vain religion uh, and, and, in Israel, and a lot of what's going on in the church today is vain religion. People would practice sin all week long, and then they would go to, uh, on the Sabbath, and they would just uh, have some ritual with really no heart for God whatsoever, no teaching that was bringing conviction in their lives, no sorrow and repentance from sin, And therefore, the people's lives were unchanged. And they were bound in all their vices of seeking power and sexuality. And and you know what I know? If you're not walking with Jesus Christ, sin will get a hold of you. It'll It'll control you. The fact is, we become like whatever we worship. And if you worship pleasure, it'll show in your countenance. If you worship alcohol, it'll it'll hit you. If you worship money, it'll show. But when you worship God, he transforms us. And we get set free from the vices. And he begins to conform our lives into the image of Jesus. And and man, that's what we are made for. So uh, great to get into this together. Uh, uh, I'm really concerned uh, of where we are in the United States. Again, the parallels are incredible. We've turned away from the real God and we've made up our own God. And we're so proud of our sexual sins. We actually call our sexual sins pride. And we're flaunting them in arrogance. And we're flaunting our materialism and our greed. And, and even in religion, uh, where the word is not being taught, there's no change of heart. There's no repentance. So uh, we jump in. Uh, the book of Hosea, without rambling introduction for crying out loud. Um, Hosea chapter 1, are you there? Hosea, by the way, his name means salvation. Uh, Salvation, uh, appropriate name for a prophet, salvation. God wanting to bring salvation to this wayward nation. 
Jehoshua uh, or Joshua is Yahweh is salvation. And in the Greek, that is Jesus. Uh, uh, so uh, here we, we study the book of Hosea. Uh, uh, let's pray as we open God's word. Jesus, uh, we come before you one more time, Lord. We ask that you'd speak to us as we enter into this study in your word. Uh, Lord, there's some heavy things here. I pray that you'd help us to uh, take them to heart and not get bogged down in them. Uh, but also, Lord, to, to evaluate ourselves. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to see your heart in here, for it's an amazing story where you reveal your heart. So, Lord, would you speak to us? And would you guide us? And would you speak to us individually and personally, Lord, that we might know you, the real, true, and living God, that we might walk in your ways and be transformed by your love and your truth. We pray it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Uh, Chapter 1, verse 1, are you there? Now the word of the Lord came to Hosea, the son of Beeri. In the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, the kings of Judah. Uh, Those are all kings uh, of uh, the, the southern kingdom And uh, what he is doing, what Hosea is doing, is giving you a time frame for when he speaks. It would be kind of like in our day if we said, hey, I was a pastor in the era of Clinton, of, of Bush, of Obama, of Trump, and of Biden. By doing so, you would know exactly when I was speaking, or exactly when my ministry was. Well, that's what Hosea is doing here. Uzziah was the king of Judah, the southern kingdom, from 792 to 740. Jotham was a king in the southern kingdom, and and he was a co-regent of Uzziah. Uzziah was a good king, by the way. Uh, Ahaz was a bad king. Uh, And then Hezekiah was a good king. He reigned from 729 to 686. And uh, Ahaz was a co-regent with him for part of that time. So those were the kings of Judah, the southern kingdom. And Hosea says, and I also, my ministry was in the days of Jeroboam. That's Jeroboam II, uh, the son of Joash, the king of Israel. Uh, Jeroboam II's reign was, was 788 to 748 uh, BC. So now we know the time frame, right? When the Lord began to speak to Hosea, The Lord said to Hosea, a crazy message, man. Buckle your seatbelt. Look at this. Go and take yourself a wife of harlotry. Uh, The Hebrew is even more emphatic. I don't like this word, so I'm not going to use this word. But the word whore would be a better description. That's how the King James translates it. A better description of the the strength of this word. Go and marry a woman of whoredom, he tells her. And have children of whoredom, of harlotry. For the land has committed great whoredom or harlotry by departing from the Lord. Oh my goodness. Uh, What a story. Now you know why I told you this is going to be PG-13, man. I mean, Astonishingly, God instructs his prophet to marry a harlot, an immoral, unfaithful woman who was hot to trot and would not stay home, sleeping around with countless men. What in the world is God doing? Do you know what God is doing? God is writing one of the greatest love stories of all time. This book is an incredible story of God's relentless pursuing love for his wayward bride who's going a whoring after everything she can get her, get her hands on. Crazy. God has chosen Hosea to play the role of God. And God has chosen a harlot as the depiction of his wife. Think about this. Have you ever been moved by a movie? Maybe a love story? You go to the movies and you come out and you're just like, oh, you're kind of like, 
You see things a little differently. You're just moved by the depth of the love and the story. All the girls are going, yeah. All the guys are going, nope, never happened. <laughs> never happened. <laughs> I've had that happen to me. And, and, and you come out and you're just like, you have a, the movie made you aware of a deeper kind of love. You saw something new. It was like, wow, so romantic. And Well, that's what God is doing here. This is God's purpose in the book of Hosea. To allow us to see the side of God that is not often understood. To allow us to see a side of God that we normally don't even think of. Do you know what side that is? It's the almighty God. We think of him that way all the time. But we never think of him this way. The almighty God with a broken heart. Have you ever thought of God that way? No, probably not. We probably just look at him like, oh God, oh gosh, I'm in trouble. I blew it again. We've never, maybe never think that, wow, Lord, I, I hurt you. You have a heart for me. And I went after other things and I forgot about you and, and your heart was broken. And God is writing the book of Hosea to give this wayward people an understanding God loves you and his heart breaks when you go a whoring after all the things of the world and make them the master passions of your life. What a powerful message from God and his hope that it would open Israel's wayward eyes to seeing the true great love that God has for them. I wonder if you were a gifted artist, what portrait would you paint of yourself? If you had the power to uh, make a movie of your life, who would you cast to play your part? Someone beautiful? Someone strong? I'd choose a guy like JC with a chest out to here. Who would you choose? Uh, Someone incredibly intelligent? I want you to see what God chose. God chose his role to be played by a man who desperately and faithfully loved a woman who was going a whoring on him. A woman who was just wandering off, wasting her life, giving her love to men who were just using her. And every time she did, she became more and more degraded as she lost more of all that God created her to be. This is how God chose to play these roles. The story is a simile. It reveals how Israel repeatedly broke God's heart with her spiritual adulteries with all of her idolatries. And it reveals God's unwavering love for his people. It reveals the tender side of the almighty God who has a broken heart because his people are more interested in useless things than in him. Wow. As we study Hosea, it is my hope that this will open our eyes to allow us to see God's love for us And to get us to ask some questions of ourselves: How well am I loving God? How well am I caring about him? Where are my passions? Am I passionate for all the things of the world? Or am I passionate for the true and loving God, the lover of my soul? Is my relationship with God like that of Hosea and the the people of God with this harlot wife? One-sided? Or am I in a real intimate relationship with God? So I'd like you to look at it from God's perspective. Look how God chose to cast his movie of his life. And I would also like you to think, look at Hosea's life. How would you like to have Hosea's ministry? In love with a woman who runs out and won't stay home. Continuously finding out she slept with some other man once again. Breaking your heart over and over again. Uh, uh, Wow. Uh, Verse 2, notice what it says. Go and take yourself a wife of harlotry 
and children. No, a wife of a Harley. Uh, a wife who rides a Harley. And children of harlotry. And look what he says. For the land has committed great harlotry by departing from the Lord. God is painting a self-portrait of God and his bride. And he's saying, my people have gone after all these other things. And in this vivid picture, we see how our infidelity feels to God something we maybe have never thought of before. So uh, let's look at what happens as the story progresses. Here we're going to see, here's the honeymoon, verse 3. Are you ready? So he went and took Gomer. Uh, Gomer doesn't sound real attractive, does it? Uh, Delilah sounds really attractive. Uh, Gomer, not so much. Uh, She was probably beautiful, uh, but she was not beautiful on the inside. And on the inside, she was a real Gomer. Uh, Gomer, the daughter of... I've never met a Gomer, so I think I'm safe. Uh, I did think about that. Uh, So he went and took Gomer, the the daughter of Dibliam, and she conceived and bore him a son. I want you to circle the word him. Who's him? Hosea. It's his kid, right? She bore him a son. Then the Lord said to him, Call his name Jezreel. Jezreel is two Hebrew words put together. El is God. Jezre is scatter. And God is saying, he's giving a prophetic name for this child. Uh, I want you to call his name, God will scatter. For in a little while, God is going to scatter the northern kingdom, right? And for in a little while, I will avenge the bloodshed of Jezreel on the house of Jehu. Uh, I'll explain that in a minute, but I want you to see this right now. And I will bring an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. What did God just say? Israel is no longer going to be a sovereign, independent nation. It shall come to pass in that day that I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. Wow, God is saying some powerful things right there. He's going to say, he's saying, hey, uh, I'm going to scatter the nation Israel all over the place. And God would soon use the Assyrian army to come in and conquer the northern kingdom and to lead them captive as into exile as they are taken away as prisoners. And Israel's land would be abandoned and desolate. He says, I'm going to bring an end to the kingdom of Israel. And I'm going to break the bow of Israel. Uh, they're going to be military, mil- militarily defeated. No longer a sovereign independent nation. They're going to be under the control of the Assyrians. Not good news for God's people. Not good news for Jeroboam, the king of uh, uh, Jeroboam II, the king of uh, the northern kingdom at this time. Uh, he also says that I will avenge the bloodshed of Jezreel on the house of Jehu. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. You can study it in 2 Kings chapter 10 if you want. But let me just tell you uh, briefly what, what that means since it's here. 90 years prior, uh, there was a king in the northern kingdom named Jehu. And Jehu uh, massacred all the descendants of King Ahab. Uh, There was 70 descendants of Ahab that Jehu killed all to secure his position of power on the throne. And it just shows you the corruption that was there in the kings of the northern kingdom because uh, 200 years ago, Jeroboam had Jeroboam one had put golden calves, and the people were far from God. Uh, think of this: Ahu killing 70 of Ahab's descendants to secure his kingdom. That's how the world works. Think about it now. In contrast, juxtapose that to David, who God had called to be the king of Israel. And yet Saul was the king at that time. And even though Saul was 
persecuting David and jealous of David and even trying to kill David, David said in his heart, what? I will not bring my hand against the Lord's anointed. You say, what does that mean? David was simply saying this, God, if you want me to be king, you have to raise me up into power. I am not going to claw for the throne. I want it to be your work in my life, God. I don't want to do it myself. Some of us are hungering for certain things in life, maybe to get married, maybe to have a child, maybe to have a business, maybe to be uh, whatever. Uh, and we claw at it, and it becomes the God of our life. And what we learn is, uh, from David is wait for God to bring that to you in his time and his way. Notice the difference of the two. And here God says, hey, I'm going to bring judgment uh, on the house of Jehu for what they did 90 years ago. I want you to know sin carries a very high price. Oftentimes, we don't see the price of sin until much later. Uh, maybe we're, you, you, you know, we're living in sin, and we think everything seems fine for a while, but I want you to know sin always has an incredibly high price down the road. It always brings destruction and ruin. And righteousness, by the way, is much the same. The good fruit that comes from obeying God as we walk in God's ways often isn't seen immediately. You say, oh man, I'm trying. I'm going to small group now and I'm studying my Bible and, and I haven't got a promotion yet. Uh, I don't see any change in my home yet. Hey, give it time. Fruit takes time to grow. And just like sin, uh, it takes time before Jehu's sins caught up with him, but it does. And likewise with good fruit. Galatians makes that very clear, right? Look at this verse in Galatians, Galatians 6. Let me hear you read this. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh, the desires of his flesh, the, the, the lust of our flesh, the, the things we want now, right? Look what he says. He will, of the flesh, reap what? Corruption, destruction. But he who sows to the Spirit will reap of the Spirit everlasting life or abundant life, or meaningful life, eternal life. Uh, rest of the verse. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not lose heart. Hey, you who are walking with the Lord, way to go. Know that great fruit comes your way. And you who are living in sin, know this. You might be getting away with it now, but destruction and misery are at your doors. Uh, we saw the first birth announcement there of uh, Hosea's child, Jezreel. Now we get the second birth announcement here. Look at verse 6. And she conceived again and bore a daughter. What word is missing? Yes. Him. Not bore him a daughter, just bore a daughter. Uh, probably not his. And God said to him, <laughs> you guys are so funny. Uh, oh my goodness. Uh, <clears throat> she conceived it again and bore a daughter. And God said to him, call her name Lo-Ruhamah. Uh, Ruhamah means mercy. Lo in Hebrew means no. Just like we have the, the letter A uh, if you're moral and you put an A in front of it, amoral, it means not moral, right? Well, Lo does that in Hebrew. Uh, and he says, call her name Lo-Ru-Maha, uh, excuse me, Lo-Ru-Hama, uh, no mercy. For I will no longer have mercy on the house of Israel, but will utterly take them away. Yet I will have mercy on the house of Judah. That's the southern kingdom. And I will save them by the Lord their God. And will not save them by bow, by sword, or by battle, or by horses, or by horsemen. Very interesting. God says to the northern kingdom that has been going astray for how long? 200 years. 
God says, no more mercy. But for the southern kingdom, Judah, God says, I'm going to show mercy on them, and I'm going to save them, but not by military power. Interesting. What does all that mean? Well, what it means is God removed his hedge of protection from the northern kingdom of Israel, and in 722 B.C., the Assyrian king, Sargon II, came in and took every person in the northern kingdom captive into Assyria. And let me tell you something. The Assyrians were the cruelest people on the face of the earth. They would bury people in the desert, standing up, bury them up to their heads where only their head was sticking out of the sand. And then they would pull their tongue out, put a spike through it, and nail it into the ground so they dehydrated slowly. Cruel. When they took people captive, they would put hooks in their nose or in their lip and chain them together so they could not run away. And these are the people that came in and took God's people captive. I will no longer show mercy, no mercy, lo ruhamah. And I want you to know it is a tragic day when God pulls his merciful hand back from your life. I want you to remember God had given them incredible mercy for 200 years. They had gold calves in Dan and in Bethel. And God continued mercifully to send them prophets and Bible teachers, but they would not repent. Instead, they listened to all their false priests. Israel's heart had grown cold to God and it had grown passionate to sin. They were addicted to sin. They were living for lusting for wealth and sex and, and power and partying and myrrh and all these things. And God's people's heart had grown cold to God. If you want to read, I wish we had time to read it with you. I want to in my heart so bad. But read 2 Kings chapter 17. Uh, I put that verse on a slide for you. 2 Kings uh, chapter 17. I'll read the whole chapter, if you will. I wish we had time to do it together. Uh, powerful. Uh, God loves to be merciful to us. One of the natures, one of the attributes of God, the Bible says he's abounding in mercy. But if our heart is callous to God, there comes a time when God says, my mercy is no longer good for you. My mercy is no longer helping you. And God will pull back his mercy and allow you to go through incredibly difficult times. Hoping that by pulling back his mercy, these difficult trials will lead you to repentance. What else can God do? He's reached out to them every generous way he can but they would not hear. So God says, no more mercy for the northern kingdom. But he says, I will show mercy on the southern kingdom. Why? Because the southern kingdom was so righteous? Because the southern kingdom was so perfect? Not at all. But at least they were genuinely seeking God. At least they were trying at least they had somewhat of a heart for God. I want you to know God is always merciful to those who genuinely seek him. You don't ever have to worry about God pulling his mercy back from your life. God is always merciful to those who genuinely seek him. He's abounding in mercy. His mercies are new morning by morning and day by day. The only reason he would ever pull back his mercy is because if you're not hearing him after he speaks over and over and over. God says, I will be merciful to Judah and I will deliver them without a military battle, without a sword, without a shield, without a horse, without a soldier. I will deliver them. How? Well, the Bible records it for us. Eight years after the Assyrians conquered the northern kingdom, guess who they came back for? The southern kingdom. And the Assyrians at this time were the most powerful nation on the face of the earth. They were, uh, they were the nation, right? The world dominion. 
And they came down to the southern kingdom, Jerusalem, to, to Judea, uh, and they wanted to capture it. And their method was pretty smart. They sent this, the king of Assyria sent a brilliant orator. Uh, his name was Rabshakeh. He was just this eloquent man of incredible speech. And he came down to all the inhabitants of the southern kingdom of Judah. And he started speaking to them and to the king. And he publicly threatened them mockingly. And he spoke to them, check this out, in Hebrew, their native tongue. And he said, who are you going to trust in, southern kingdom, Judah, Jerusalem? Who are you going to trust in? Are you think Egypt can help you? You think Egypt can help you from the mighty Assyrians? Not a chance. Who are you going to trust in? And he's saying all this in Hebrew. Are you going to trust in your God? Yahweh? Are you going to trust in Yahweh? You think Yahweh will save you? Yahweh sent us to destroy the northern kingdom. And was that true? That was true. Now, what do you think that might have done to the southern kingdom? <gasps> right? God sent us to judge you also. And the moment they said that, they took God's name in vain. God did not send them to the southern kingdom. And he says, oh, you guys will never make it. And by the way, let me tell you the list of all the nations we have already dispossessed. And he starts rattling off. We already took down Russia. We already took down China. We already took down, right? He just starts going through them all, right? Not literally, but I'm just giving you, you understand that. Uh, uh, you're going to go home. I didn't know Assyria took down Russia. <laughs> uh, and he brought fear into all of them. King Hezekiah was listening. He said, hey, Please speak in Aramaic, for we speak Aramaic. And don't speak in Hebrew, so that all the people... And, and Rabshakeh says, Do you think I came to only speak to you, king? I want every person in Jerusalem to know what's going to happen to them. And so uh, they followed that great orator with a letter to the king Hezekiah, saying all the things that they were going to do. And they sent down troops and they started besieging, surrounding Jerusalem. 185,000 Assyrian troops surrounding Jerusalem. Do you know what King Hezekiah did? He prayed. And he called for the prophet Isaiah. And he said, hey, I need your advice. I need your counsel. Will you pray with me? Church, I want you to know, walking in the ways of God are not complicated. Surround yourself with people who really walk with God, who people who really know God. Find a church that accurately teaches the Bible and not gives you fluffy stuff and have godly men that you can go to Godly women that you can go to, to seek count, if you're a woman, uh, to seek counsel. That's what King Hezekiah did. And so, you know what they did? They took this letter that the Assyrian king wrote to them, and they laid it out on the floor. And Hezekiah prays, and he says, God, we're in trouble we're surrounded by the most powerful nation on the earth at this time. And they have said they're going to do this, this, and this. And he says, he actually says this in his prayer. Lord, read this letter. Uh, great thing to do, right? Right? You got problems? You got a lot of bills? Put all your bills on the floor. Lord, read. Look at my bills, right? Look, look at my problems. Lord, I got this problem with my brother, with his family member, with a neighbor. Lay it out on the floor and pray to God. And you know what happened? They were besieged. They couldn't get food. And in one night, God sent an angel who destroyed single-handedly 185,000 Assyrians in one night without a battle, without a weapon, without anything. Jerusalem woke up the next morning victorious 
without lifting a finger. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Amazing. And this isn't something unique for Hezekiah. This is, what is hap- this is what's available to all who walk in the ways of the Lord. Church, do you know what I did this week? As I got the numbers on Friday from all of our mission groups and everything else, I thought, oh my gosh, 1,029 people in midweek discipleship. How does that happen? And all I can say is not by might, not by power, not by ability, I'll tell you that, but by my spirit, says the Lord. You are part of God's work. And this is a marvelous work he is doing as he builds his kingdom. Uh, I really rabbit trailed on there. Um, <laughs> I want you to know, Judas, Judah was not sinless. But they sought the true and living God. And God showed himself strong. Uh, let's come to our, our next birth announcement in our story. Uh, uh, we're on verse 8. So Lo Ruhamah, no mercy. Uh, now look at verse 8. Now when she had weaned Lo Ruhamah, she conceived and bore a son. Not bore him a son, just bore a son. And God said, call his name Lo Amai. For you are not my people. And I will not be your God. Wow. Again, all this is prophetic. The Assyrian army hasn't ha- happened yet. God is telling them what's happening. He says, hey, look, uh, you're, you're not my people. Uh, here we're feeling bad for poor Hosea, aren't we? His wife is running around, sleeping around. He's got a child that's not his, got two children now that aren't his. And uh, uh, man, think about what Hosea is going through. Uh, since the northern kingdom was an ungodly nation at this time, what do you think the gossipers were saying about Hosea? What do you think the tabloids were saying about Hosea? What do you think was on social media about Hosea? Hey, did you hear about God's guy? Yeah, she, God's wife. I mean, God's guy. Yeah, his wife. She's knocked up by another guy again. Hosea would walk into Starbucks and people would say, hey, Hosea, had your wife last night. She was cheap. She was easy. Painful, painful. What is God doing? Poor Hosea. What is God doing? God is showing us just a small picture of what Israel is doing to God. And why is it that it's easier for us to have compassion on Hosea than it is God? Think about what God goes through every time we go whoring after, instead of picking up our Bible, I'm going to social media. Instead of, instead of fellowship, I'm going to go to the movies, right? We don't think about that. God is showing us. Secondly, I think what God is doing to Hosea is incredibly powerful. God is preparing Hosea for the work that God has called him to do. You say, how so? Well, what has God called Hosea to do? God has called Hosea to bring a message of divine discipline and judgment upon his people. And Hosea won't do it glibly. Like, yeah, you guys are going to hell. You're such sinners. No, when Hosea says, not my people, he'll know the pain of what that really means. When Hosea says, no mercy, he'll know the pain that that brings God's heart. Because his wife is doing all the same things to him that God's wife is doing to, to God. And he will speak the judgments of God with incredible compassion and incredible uh, uh, representation of the true and living God. Uh, we're going to skip uh, verse 10 uh, through the end of uh, chapter 1. And we'll pick it up next week. We don't have time to devote enough time to it now. So I want to hit it next week. Uh, But jump to chapter 2. And chapter 2 should really start in verse 2. That's a bad place for a chapter break. Uh, We're going to go through this fast. Uh, What time am I supposed to be done? um, JC wrote me a note. Uh, (laughs) 
now basically, here I, here I go again. Uh, I want to get through the, a little bit with you. This, uh, we're going to read through this real fast. Bring charges against your mother. This is God's message to the nation, uh, the northern kingdom of Israel. Bring charges against your mother. Bring charges, for she is not my wife, nor am I her husband. Who's speaking? God. What is God saying? God is saying, this is not how marriage is supposed to be. This is not a marriage. Let her put away her harlotries from her sight. And look how graphic this is. And her adulteries from between her breasts. Uh, that's pretty R-rated. Lest I strip her naked and expose her as in the day she was born. And make her like a wilderness. And set her like a dry land. And slay her with thirst. I will not have mercy on her children, for they are the children of harlotry. You can circle the word they, and we know that lo rumaha and lo ami uh, are not his children. Uh, they are the children of harlotry, for the mother has played the harlot. She who has conceived them has behaved shamefully. For she has said, this is God speaking uh, of how Israel has spoken in her heart. She has said in her heart, I will go after my lovers. What were her lovers? Well, her lovers were Molech, making money. And her lovers were Ashtoreth, sexual immorality. And her, love, her lovers were uh, power and, and avarice and, and, and all the things, uh, you know, materialism, all the things that she's going over. I will go after my lovers who give me my bread and my water and my wool and my linen, my oil and my drink, who give me all, all my stuff, who make my life amazing, who make me happy. Uh, verse 6, therefore, behold, God says, I will hedge up your way with thorns. I'm going to put speed bumps on your path. I will wall her in so that she cannot find her paths. What does that mean? Cannot find her paths. It means she's been looking for pleasure. And God in his mercy has allowed her a season. But he says no more. She's not going to find any satisfaction anymore. She's going to be looking for it and she's going to be empty. She's going to be searching for it and she's going to not find it. Look at verse 7. She will chase her lovers but not overtake them or not catch them. Yes, she will seek them, but not find them. Nothing will satisfy. Do you know what happens when you used to go to the bottle for satisfaction and pleasure and joy, and now the bottle only brings you pain? You used to love smoking weed, and now you're just addicted. You can't get away from it. When you used to love sleeping around, and now your thought life is so polluted and corrupt that you can't even function without corrupt thoughts. The sin that you thought would bring you joy now is just robbing you. She will seek them, not find them. That's what happens when God pulls back his mercy. Then she will say, I will go and return to my first husband, for it was better for me than now. Sounds like who? The prodigal son that we looked at last week. Uh, what am I doing? Uh, my life is horrible. I remember. And uh, she's going to go back to God. For she did not know that I gave her grain and new wine and oil. And that I multiplied her silver and her gold. Uh, she didn't know that I was the one who gave her the talent to be successful in business. She didn't realize I was the one who gave her all of her sexual beauty she didn't realize i was the one who gave her the ability to build and to create and to do all the things that she's doing and she thought it was all her networking and deceptive deals and her cunning hand and her trickery she thought it was all her talent she didn't realize it was all my abundant blessing on her life verse six Therefore, behold, I will hedge up your way with thorns. Uh, oh, no, I already read it. Where are we? Uh, verse 9. Therefore, I will return and take away my grain in its time and my new wine in its season. And I will take back my wool and my linen 
uh, given to cover her nakedness, and I will uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers, and no one shall deliver her from my hand. She took all the prosperity that God gave her, and instead of using it to worship God, instead of tithing, instead of worshiping, instead of caring for the poor, instead of building disciples, instead of investing uh, her money into things of the kingdom, she just went after all her carnal appetites. And God says, no more. You didn't even realize it was me giving you all, giving you all those blessings. Man, what will you do if God pulls his grace and mercy from you? Man, what a horrible thing. I will also cause her, verse 11, I will also cause her mirth to cease. Mirth is just merriment and amusement and entertainment. I will call her, cause her mirth to cease. Her fe feast days to cease, her holidays, her new moons, her Sabbaths, all her appointed feasts, all the feasts where they would go down and, and supposedly worship God, vain religion. I'm going to stop it all, God says. They won't do any of that in Assyria. And I will destroy her vines and her fig trees, all her financial prosperity, in other words, of which she said, these are my wages, which my lover has given to me. She thought it was her, uh, the ways of the world, her trickery, all the crafty things that the world does to make money. She thought that was, well, it was her talent. She didn't realize it was from God. He says, so I will make them a forest. In other words, just abandoned and uninhabited. And the beast of the field shall eat uh, all, her, all her stuff. Uh, and I will punish her for the days of the Beals to which she burned incense. When she went after all these other gods. She decked herself with earrings and jewelry and went after her lovers. Who did she deck herself out for every day? All the all the harlotry that she was doing, uh, all the false stuff, but she forgot me, says the Lord. Verse 14, now God speaks prophetically into the future, and it's like God, he can't, he can't even give a, a prophecy that talks about the coming judgment that's coming upon them without also talking about how he's going to restore them. Look what he says, therefore, behold, I will allure her and I will bring her into the wilderness, a place of emptiness and, and of emptiness and, and brokenness. Uh, and there I will speak comfort to her. For I will give her vineyards from there. From where? From that place of emptiness and brokenness. God will start to allure her again. Look what he says. And the valley of Achor as a door of hope. Uh, you might want to write in your Bible, Achor means trouble. In the valley of trouble, he's going to give her what? A door of hope. This is how God works. I tried to speak to you in prosperity. You would not hear it. So I'm pulling back my mercy. And I'm, now you'll hear me in the, in the valley of trouble. You'll see a door of hope. There she, uh, she, 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 I can't speak. <laughs> she shall sing there. As in the days of her youth, as in the days when she came up out of the land of Egypt, uh, she's going to worship God again. Do you remember when Israel came out of uh, Egypt and they went through the Red Sea? And they were so terrified, right? Because the Egyptian army was coming in behind them with chariots and weapons and everything else. And God splits the Red Sea and delivers his people, right? And what happened? The, the, uh, the waves come in and close up on the Egyptian army. And what did Israel do on the other side of the Red Sea? Do you know what they did? They wrote songs to praise God. God, you're so amazing. God, you're so powerful. God, there's none like you. God, the Egyptian armies look like rag dolls next to you. God, you're so strong. You're a mighty savior. And they sang with all of their heart. May it not take judgment to make us thankful for God's amazing grace and salvation. Amen? Um, <clears throat> All right, let's, uh, let's wrap this up. Verse 16. Uh, in that day, 
and it shall be in that day, says the Lord, that you will call me my husband. The Hebrew is so romantic. You will call me Ishi, and you will no longer call me by my master. The Hebrew is Baal. I don't want to hear you call me Baal anymore. Master, I want you to call me Ishi. I want you to know Israel had never, ever called God Ishi. Ishi was a, was a romantic, intimate term for a husband. And God says, I want you to call me Ishi. That's the kind of relationship I'm looking for. Isn't it interesting? Jesus said the exact same thing, didn't he? The disciples came to him and said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And what did Jesus say? Okay, pray like this. Our Father that art in heaven, holy is your name. The Jews would have gasped, calling God your Father. That is irreverent. They would never call God our Father. And yet God himself says, no, I want that kind of intimacy with you. You will call me Ishi, this romantic and daring term. Uh, God wants our heart. Uh, and no longer call me uh, my master. The Hebrew is Baal. For I will take from the mouth, I will take from her mouth the names of the Baals. And they shall be remembered by their name no more. I'm sick of that name. Uh, and in that day, I will make a covenant with them and with the beast of the field and with the birds of the air and with the creeping things of the ground, bow and sword of battle, I will shatter from the earth. Don't you long for that day? We'll look at this more next week. We're talking about the millennial reign when the king of king comes and shatters all warfare on earth. And I will make them lie down safely. Verse 19, I will betroth you to me forever in an intimate relationship with God. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness, in justice, in loving kindness, and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know Yahweh. You will know his mind. You will know his will. You will know his heart. I want you to know something. When we are broken, only per, only. Uh, only God's pursuing love can restore a broken soul. Here, the northern kingdom, they're going to go through hard times. And God's telling me, hey, I want you to know I'm going to pursue you. And I'm going to bring you back to myself. And uh, only God's pursuing love can restore the broken soul. Uh, verse 21, it shall come to pass in that day that I will answer, says the Lord. I will answer from the heavens and I will answer the earth. And the earth will answer with grain, with new wine and with oil. And they shall answer, Jezreel. There's a play on words right there. Jezreel, do you remember what it means? God will scatter. And now God's people are yelling Jezreel because God is scattering blessings on them. Blessings of wine and grain and oil and abundance. And God's people are just going to shout out, God, you're just showering blessings on us. You're so good. Verse 23, so I will sow her, that's Israel, the northern kingdom, God's people, for myself in the earth, and I will have mercy, Ruhamah, on him who had not obtained mercy, lo Ruhamah, uh, and I will say to those who are not my people, you are my people, and they shall say, say it with me, they shall say, you are my God. You may freely share this message with others as long as you don't charge for it. Support for these broadcasts comes from your generous donations that allow us to give away our materials for free. To participate with us, please visit our website at themissionchurch.net. God bless.